Okay, God is the ultimate source of power, amen? He is the ultimate source of power, and power comes from him and is subject to him. And now, it's easy for me to throw around the word power to the point where, you know, if I repeat it enough times, you might just glaze over the word power, and, you, you know, you can start to lose the meaning of what that really is. But today, what I mean by power is I'm defining power as the ability to do things by virtue of strength, skill, resources, or authorization. The Bible, however, says that Christian's power has nothing to do with our natural ability. Actually, has nothing to do with it. It comes from God through the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are blessed with the assembly that moves in the Holy Spirit, aren't we? Awesome. Awesome. And so my main thesis of this series is that if you want to be powerful, you can only actually do it through the Holy Spirit. Okay, so if you're going to take any away, anything away from this series, it's that we can only do everything that we do. We can only receive power if we get it from the Holy Spirit. My power as a Christian, my ability to do anything of worth is received by the power I receive from the Holy Spirit. Amen? When Jesus ascended on high, he told his disciples to wait for the power they needed. Wait for the power that they needed, the power that enabled them to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Which, when you think about it, you know, that's actually the only reason why here in North America, we're sitting in a church building, you know, enjoying the freedom of worshiping Jesus. You know, it's because of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only reason we're actually sitting here right now here today. You know, and it's because of the power of the Holy Spirit given to the disciples in the book of Acts. You know, without the Holy Spirit, the disciples would have just been kind of spinning their wheels trying to spread the gospel. It didn't matter how enthusiastic they were, how, what words they had, what intelligence they had, what skills they had. It was the Holy Spirit that empowered them to actually bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, including right here. Amen? Amen. They couldn't have done it without the power from on high. So I don't know about you, but I need that power. Amen. I, I, I need that same power. That same power that raised Christ from the dead, I, I need it to dwell in me. The same power that empowered the disciples to make the gospel go viral. So with him, you are powerful. You have abilities beyond the common man. And this should make us really, really happy. And it's, a, it's actually a real reason to rejoice. 2 Peter 1.3 says that a Christian's power supplies all we need for living a holy life in this world of sin. That gives us all the power that we need. Which means that our power is not our own. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. It's just given to us out of love by a father who likes to spoil us. Amen? Don't you love that you have a father that likes to spoil you? Especially around Christmas time. It's amazing that we have a father that just likes to pour out his joy, his love, his peace, and his Holy Spirit on us, even though we don't deserve it. People who live and receive the truth of Jesus who reflect his forgiveness also have a peace that surpasses all understanding. And these are outstanding features. Outstanding because they, don't, they may actually make you stand out in front of everybody else. They are not of this world. They are, in fact, eternal in their nature. And they develop us for eternal life as well. So, again, let me drill this into you. Whatever's trying to make you feel powerlessness, whatever's trying to make you, you know, try to take you down, whatever circumstances you're facing, contrast those moments, contrast those feelings with the immeasurable power of God. Okay? Nothing can stand against it. Absolutely nothing can stand against his immeasurable power. There's nothing bigger, nothing more robust, nothing mightier. Nothing can stand against his mighty power, which is in you. And that's what our power is, and that's what's available to you. So let me finish this week with a, with a final reminder of what makes you powerful. I love that we can be strengthened here together in this assembly, don't you? I love that we can be strengthened together as a big family. Because, it, you know, it's true that there actually is power in numbers, Right? There, are, there is power in numbers. So tell the person next to you, we're together whether you like it or not. We're in it together. Amen. 
Amen. <laughs> was that fun? It sounded like that was a lot more fun than usual. Yeah, we're in it together. All right, so there are a number of scriptures that I could have used to talk about God's power. There, there are actually quite a few, but I want to use Ephesians 1 and 18 through 23 for this series because I feel like, you know, if there's an all-in-one scripture, you know, that, that, that talked about the power that we could consume, uh, you know, it, that was like a, a Red Bull energy drink of his power, it would be Ephesians 1 and 18 through 23 uh, because, you, you know, it talks about God's power and how big it is, how immeasurable it is. It's a very good descriptive verse about his power. It has it all. And, you know, Paul knows a lot about God's power, and he talks about it a lot. Ephesians 3 and 16, further on, says, A Christian's power from God strengthens the inner being. It says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. In 2 Timothy 1 through 7 through 8, Paul says this, Christian's power from God enables him to endure suffering in the face of persecution. The spirit of God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power. Love and self-discipline. 2 Corinthians 12, 19 says a Christian's power is perfected in weakness. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. So Paul understands power. He understands the riches of his glorious inheritance. And it's the same inheritance that we actually have rights to as well. We have the same rights. And this opening scripture in Ephesians sums it all up. And uh, like a good leader, you know, Paul was empowering his fellow believers in in Ephesus to take a hold and possess the authority they have over all their circumstances. So why does God want us to receive this? Because I believe that, again, we need to become more powerful. We need to become more enlightened. If the power is immeasurable, it means that there's always, always, always more to be had. There's always more power to be had. Has anyone ever here ever bought a computer? If you know anything about computers, you'll know that as soon as you buy a computer, another computer comes out the next day that's even more powerful than the one that you bought. It's very frustrating. <laughs> you buy a new iPhone, and then six months later, there's the iPhone 11S. There's someone that's just a little bit more powerful. It just keeps getting more and more powerful. But God's power is even bigger than that. It's even more immeasurable. And you can always receive from it. You don't have to wait two years till your phone plan is done. You can get the power right away. Every Sunday, you can come here and get more and more power. You can go get the God in your prayer closet and get more power. There's always immeasurably amounts of power available to you as a Christian. So just to summarize this series, you know, we've talked about uh, the power of truth that we possess in a world where truth is continually being eroded and diluted, and, and that the one truth we have is an, is an actual absolute truth. What we have is absolute. It's never changed because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So that never changes. That is the truth that we can stand on. That's the truth that we can measure up all other truths too. He is the path to all truth. Amen? I also talked about the Christian superpower of forgiveness. Power of forgiveness, which in a culture of offense, not only differentiates us, it actually gives us the power to release and cancel any offense committed against us. We are not held captive by offense, okay? Forgiveness frees us from the bondage of offense and and, and has the power to make us actually, you know, mentally, physically, and spiritually well as well, too. You know, forgiveness is an incredible power that we possess, and it's something that differentiates us as well. Last week, I talked about the peace and the freedom we have in Christ, which is to rule over us. Amen? Amen. So, hallelujah, we possess a power that places all other things under his feet, which is what it says there. All other things. Nothing can take dominion in your life because all rule and authority belong to Jesus Christ. 
He is head over everything. He should be head over everything in your life. Amen? So Paul wants us not only to know but experience that power, which helps us with the unique challenges we face today. So for this week, again, I want to talk about two unique challenges that we're facing in today's society. Uh, but more so, I want to talk about, I'm going to give you three truths to battle those, those realities that we're facing today that shine brighter uh, than these cultural changes. And this week, uh, I want to I wanna bring uh, the series home by, by actually talking about the power in showing up. The power in showing up. Holly and I, uh, we celebrate our 15th year anniversary this year. We were married for 15 years, hallelujah. And uh, we, were, we were trying to figure out, well, what are we going to do for our 15th anniversary? And we were, we were thinking about all these places we wanted to go. We were thinking about Iceland first, which would have been really nice, but it was really expensive. So we decided, oh, you know what, let's look at something else. We said, hey, let's, why don't we go back to the place where we, where we had our honeymoon? Why don't we go back to the Bahamas? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's good. And we looked it up. Hey, it's really cheap, too. We can get going there. Let, let's do it. And then at the last minute, we were like, ah, well, let's just not do that. We'll, we'll, we'll plan for something else later on in the year. And it's a good thing we did. You want to know why? Because if we had shown up, we would have shown up at the same time as Hurricane Dorian. So <laughs> good thing we didn't show up then. You know, that's an example of where I'm glad I, I didn't show up to the destination. But I'm glad we showed up to listen to our instinct and not go. That's a good thing. How many people know that to receive something, to receive anything, you have to show up? You have to show up. You have to be present. You have to be in the moment. Showing up means that we're disciplined to do something. We know the reason why we're doing something. And more importantly, we understand the value in what we're doing as well. Okay? That's what showing up is. Now, I've heard a lot of people today, you know, blame the, the millennial generation for not having the capability to show up and, and show any commitment. Has anybody else heard of that as well? Everyone's talking about this on the news all the time. That the millennials, they're, they're you know, whatever. But, you know, I, I actually don't think that that's true. Uh, I actually think that the millennial generation has a very important piece in God's kingdom, and all of you should believe that as well, too, because we're all part of the same generation. I don't care what the world labels us here as well, too. I'm living at the same time as you guys right now, so we're all part of the same generation. Amen? Amen. We're all part of the same generation. We're all in this together. You've already said it this morning. You called it out. you got to believe it. We're all part of this. We're all in this together. Amen? We are all in this together. And you know what, actually, there's the, the research, I, I, I did look at the research about commitment in millennials, and there's research that points in both directions, that it's not conclusive. Uh, so I just think that, you know, really, there we're just, generally, there's a lot of people uh, who haven't spent a lot of time figuring out their why, figuring out why they do things. And you guys have showed up here today. You know, you guys are in church. Have you figured out why you're here? Why are you here? Someone shout out why they're here. Fred. Amen. I like that answer. Amen. To get powered up. Yes. That's what I was looking for. And the truth is that if you're here, it's because you found value in it. It's because you found value in coming to church and you have found value in this particular body as well too here at Elam. And thank you for that, by the way. Thank you for that because, you know, when you show up here at Elam, you're actually partnering with me in the ministry. You're partnering in the ministry and that brings a lot of joy to my heart. I can tell you that right now, and to the whole pastoral team here. It brings a lot of pastor, it brings a lot of joy to our hearts knowing that you're here ministering with us. You're partnering in the ministry. But ultimately, this is just a building. And our why has to be more defined than just sermons. Our, our why will lead us to our calling. And we need to be aware of what our calling is. And sometimes we confuse and, and complicate our calling. And uh, it's a, one of those things that in, in Christianity that people are always talking about, that they're always, uh, you know, focusing on the calling, and, you know, 
actually, a lot of times our calling is just right there in front of us. It's actually right here. It's not that hard to think about. You don't have to be thinking all the time about what your calling is. You're already in your calling. You're already operating in your calling. And, you know, your calling can be several things. We're, we're called to our families. We're called to our workplaces. We're called to our neighborhoods. We're called to our cities. We're called to our country. And biblically, you're also called to a church. Amen? You're actually called to a church as well. Hebrews 10 and 25 says this, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So obviously, he's, Paul is saying it's the Hebrew church because it wasn't millennials that were there, by the way. There are people that were obviously not showing up all the time. So he's calling them out. He's calling them out. As they, and, you know, and I don't think Paul could make it any more clear. God's desire is to have you regularly assemble together with his people. That's what he wants. So your Heavenly Father wants you to regularly attend church. And, and you know what? It's actually for your own good, not his. It's for, it's for your own good. It's not for his. It's, it's for you. He wants you and everyone else here to exhort one another, to encourage and celebrate each other. We need to celebrate each other a lot more often, by the way. Don't you agree? We need to really celebrate each other. You guys are gifts here in this assembly, and I celebrate you. You guys are all fantastic. I love you guys. I celebrate you, and we need to celebrate each other. Especially, as the scripture says, as the days grow darker and the time of Christ's return approaches. We need each other. Amen? So anyone that's a parent knows that even the most poignant and self-explanatory instructions that you give your children for their well-being and sometimes even their safety, you know, they're often ignored. Amen? Any parents can attest to that? A lot of times you give direction and sometimes the kids are just in one ear and out the other. Or as uh, my father-in-law Gary says, sometimes their kids' ears are painted on. They're not, they're not actually really functioning. And, uh, you know, I, even just recently, now that Serena's going to school, uh, you know, I drop the kids off at school every day. I open the door, give them their backpacks, and they, every, time, every time I open the door, I say, Serena, when I put your backpack on, do not run out into the street. There are lots of cars here. There's lots of panicked parents driving their cars like crazy, trying to get their kids to school on time. Do not run out into the street. What happens when I open the door? She runs into the street every single time. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's something because they, they, they don't always listen to you. And, you know, we are exactly the same way as young children <laughs> to our Heavenly Father. Our whys, our callings almost always go through the filter of, uh, you know, our selfish wants, sometimes, sometimes our ambitions, you know, and it, it goes through that filter before we actually accept them which is where the truth can be obscured and twisted. So what are some of the things that prevent us from actually showing up to our calling? What are some of the things? So here's the first, first lie I'm going to give you. I'm going to get some mixed reactions on this. I can already tell these right away. All right? Sometimes it's misplaced priorities. Okay? I can already see in your eyes, how dare the pastor say that the family is a misplaced priority they're going to go home today and say, oh, you put up a slide of a nice family. Look, they even have a cute dog. and They're singing in the lake, relaxing. How could that be a lie? Stick with me here for a second, all right? Bear with me. Bear with me on this, okay? Uh, hear me out for a second. So many Christians rightly say that, that God loves, especially their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Families are important to God, no doubt. But in the Gospels, we find, actually find a mixed bag of instructions about family. In some places, like Matthew 15, 3 and 4, Jesus appears to be pro-family. And he's, he's questioning the Pharisees' commitment to the fifth commandment to honor your father and mother. So he's calling the Pharisees out on that. But then later, he says in Luke 14, 26, 
if anyone comes to me and does not hate their mother and father, wives and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Hey, wait a second. What does that mean? What does that mean? You know, that's one of those scriptures that's a little bit hard to read. It's one of those ones that you just want to kind of black out and forget about it sometimes, right? But I'm telling you, there, there's something to this. You know, it's shocking to us, this verse, and you know the, the meaning of Jesus' statement in Luke actually would have been especially hard for the people that were listening to it because in ancient Mediterranean society, they were a strong group culture. They were a, a culture that, that, that took, you know, the goals and desires of the individual and put them in the back burner for the sake of the group, for the sake of the family. And loyalty to family was the most important relational virtue for the people in the New Testament world. Now, you may, not, may or may not agree with what Jesus said there, and uh, the one thing that, in, in, you know, that is true for many people today in many homes today is that there's actually a, a huge tension between family, your natural family, and the faith family. There is a tension there, and I think that's what Jesus is getting to here. You may be in the, you know, you may... You, you, know, you, don't, you maybe already know the tension, especially because it, you, you felt it today. Because a lot of times today, there's a high expectation for the family. There's a high expectation. There's a lot of pressure for it to be a good, healthy family as well, too. Just go on Instagram. You're going to see a lot of people that are posting their perfect families on their Instagram thing. But in reality, you know, behind the scenes, they're, they're not showing the, the kids screaming at 4 o'clock in the morning and all that stuff, right? You see the, you see the sizzle reel. Uh, expectations are high. Expectations are high. The focus on the family is something that's really important today. And if you're married with kids and you feel the pressure, you, you might feel the pressure to, you know, enroll your kids in hundreds of extracurricular activities all the time so that they're always busy, into sports, into activities, you know, including the ones that meet on Sundays. All right? Or you might feel compelled, uh, you know, a lot of families will feel compelled to take a job, uh, you know, even though there's more hours, even though you might have to work some weekends, and you're doing it just because you want to see your family blessed. You want them to have a nice house. You want to move to a good neighborhood, send them to good schools, being able to actually send them into hockey camp so they can be successful, so that they can grow up and be successful, they can get lots of money. And what are we doing in all this? We're actually putting it all back into our own strength. We're actually saying that we can do a better job at our families than God can. And I think that is what Jesus is getting to right there. He's getting to the point that we need to rely on him for all things. Amen? All right. So I'm not saying that, you know, I, you know I, I'm not saying that anyone's love for God is the issue here. The issue is always the why. The issue is the why. The issue is the heart. Because there can there be a huge disconnect between the love of God and also the love of the church or the love of God's family. There can be a huge disconnect between those two things. And I know this is challenging. I'm not saying that we should blindly serve at church or go to church continually without giving a second thought to how it might impact our lives or our children. You know, far from that. As someone who has spent a great deal of their time at church, myself, a lot of time at church and seeing how other people live out their faith, I've seen the other extreme as well too, right, where, where serving outweighs your equal calling as a natural parent as well, right? So neither extreme is healthy, and which is why I think Jesus brought up both of these imbalances, because there has to be a very strict without God. I think that's step number one. Stop making decisions without God and realize that we do not always know what's best. We don't always know what's best for us, and we don't always know what's best for our children either, unfortunately. Uh, we have to rely on God for a lot of this stuff. And it's, it's always beneficial to ask God for wisdom and guidance so that we can be empowered by the Holy Spirit's prompting. Amen? Because the correct balance is what is the most important thing for your family. 
So this time I'm going to address, you know, the lie with the truth right off the bat. Okay, so here's the, the truth to that lie. It's family first. Okay, it's family first. The act, so the actual truth against this lie is a matter of actually getting our priorities straight. It's about getting our priorities straight. And, you know, making family first, most of us would rank our relationship priorities probably like this. God number one, my family second, God's family third, and fourth others. Okay, that's the way that most people rank their, their priorities, which is not a bad list of priorities. Most people agree to this, but there was a, actually a third century theologian named Cyprian the Carthage who said, he who does not have the church for his mother cannot have God for his father. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? It's actually quite clever. And I, and I think that there is actually a better way of thinking about these relationship priorities, which satisfies everything that Scripture says about family, but also respects the relationships, that, you know, all these relationships as not mutually exclusive. Okay, so I believe that God has blessed me with a natural family. God has blessed me, absolutely. He's blessed a lot of you with natural families, all of you with natural families as well, too. And this is exclusively left, you know, my family is left exclusively for me to be the head of, but I also believe that God has given me a spiritual family as well. He's absolutely given me a spiritual family that I'm blessed with, a family that God has called me to, to where I can serve. And, you know, look, our, our natural families are still the most significant earthly relationships we have, okay? Remember, I'm, I'm not saying anything but that. They are the most important, significant relationships that we have. Nothing changes that. But I think we can include our, our natural families under the broader category of the family of God. Why? Because it means that they're not competing priorities. They're not competing priorities fighting for my time and my attention. But they are members of the same family. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, if I lose my own family, uh, as an example, the time that I spend here at church with my family and the time that I spend here with my girls here at this church is actually family time. It's actually family time. Yes, their grandparents are here. Yes, their cousins are here. You know, their aunts and uncles are here. They're a good part of my natural family is here. But they also get to spend time with their spiritual brothers and sisters. They get to spend time with their spiritual uncles and aunts, their spiritual mothers and fathers, grandfathers and grandparents. And it's a beautiful thing. I can tell you as someone who has never not been to church, because has been going to church since I was born, that I value, I love the fact that I grew up with so many spiritual fathers and mothers, grandmothers and grandfathers, brothers and sisters. The, the, I've had a lot of friends throughout my life and lived in two different cities, but the people that I grew up with in church are still my friends today. I still have them by my side. They're with me till the end. My friends that I've grown up with, my spiritual brothers and sisters, they're with me till the end. I, I have them and they're, they're people that I can count on. I've got a great big family. And guess what? So do you guys. You all have a great, you're here today, you're part of this family. You also have a giant family available to you as well too. It doesn't matter if you're single, if you're married, you're divorced, you're orphaned, you're widowed. None of that really matters because you have a huge family circle around you supporting you. And this is what I believe, you know, I, I believe that wholeheartedly. If you want them to learn to love God's people, they have to observe you loving God's people as well. Right? Luke 6.40 says that the student will become like his teacher. Notice that Jesus did not say that the student will become as the teacher teaches him to be. No, he says that he will be like the teacher. He's going to be like the teacher. 
let me tell you something that I've observed with families, and I can preach until you know I can preach to my kids till till my lungs explode. You know, I can go home and read them scripture. I can do devotions with them. Uh, you know, I can seclude them from the outside world, put them in a Christian bubble, only let them listen to Christian music. Yada 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 yada. Right, all that. You know, so they're not exposed to the things of the world. But nothing is as effective as what I model to them, how I live my life. Nothing is more effective than that. Our children will learn more about faith. They will understand Jesus more and more by watching us and living out our faith journey. That's where they'll learn it from. My example to them is far more compelling than any type of indoctrination that I want to throw out there. Amen. I don't want them to be indoctrinated. I want them to know the truth of Jesus. And it's my job to actually demonstrate that. So I better have it figured out. And I can with the right priorities. And I believe that our relationship with God is usually formed by our understanding of family as well. And that starts with us uh, having an understanding of the family of God. Let me be a little bit direct. Is that okay? You guys aren't going to get offended. I already preached on on forgiveness, so we're good, right? (laughs) Consumerism today makes us believe that the church, the family of God, should be serving our needs. Serving our needs through programs, serving our needs through special ministry, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But the truth is this, that the church is not here to serve the interests of my natural family. It does not exist to meet my family's preferences, my family's desires, or my family's needs. My family is here to serve the family of God. That's why it's here, to serve the family of God. I bring my children to church because I believe it's vitally important for their development and well-being because it shows them that mommy and daddy are putting a priority on God, which is the best thing you can actually teach your children, by the way, that that your priority is on God. Can I get some agreement on that? I know what I'm saying is hard to accept a little bit, but when I put God my priority, then everything else falls into place. Every single time, if there's anything that you can prove out in your life yourself, it is that. You put God first as the priority, everything else works out. Amen? Amen. God wants all of his children to grow up into the fullness of Christ, and our spiritual well-being depends on godly priorities. All right, so the other lie that, uh, you know, that I want to address is one that may, you know, it's not often spoken, but it speaks loud and clear in action, you know, by the actual number of people that, you know, faithfully attend church in the world today. There's not that many people that faithfully attend church today in today's culture. And that is, that is, that is across the globe, everywhere, that this is the case. Except, oh, sorry, that's not true. That's not true in some places like China. It's not, places, not true in some places like Iran where, you're, where you're, you're going to be killed or put into a prison uh, if you're, you know, practicing your freedom in Christ. Uh, in those places, you know, church attendance, are, their people are meeting in, in, in secret, and their numbers are growing exponentially. But it's here in North America, in the free world, where church attendance is going down for some reason. Okay? And, uh, you know, because the truth is that if you, if you see value in something, though, if you see that... Is something that, that is positive for you. If there's a payoff, that you, you're going to actually make, you're going to go out of your way to do it. If you find value in something, you're going to find a way to do it, no matter what it is. Being consumeristic, and that the church is trying to kind of manufacture that value, which means that in order for me to commit to a church, you know, there better be something in it for me. And to some extent, churches are catering to that consumerism. That that is that is true, and that's not good for us either. I, I tend to agree that consumerism is a problem. For Christianity today, in fact, I heard a preacher not too long ago saying that, uh, you know, if I look at the church today, it kind of reminds me of that Staples button, that easy button. 
that people are pushing at Staples, oh, that was easy, you know. Basically that you go to church and it's easy. They may, they're trying to make it easy for you. And, uh, and, you know, they do that by making it so that, you know, you drop your kids off, you sit down, you have a coffee, everything is served to you like you're going to a restaurant. And that's not good for us either. We are meant to serve. We're not meant to just receive. We are also meant to serve. But abandoning ship is not a, an option either because you just end up alone. Here I am all alone worshiping God on my own schedule when it's convenient for me. You know, I'm going to listen to my, a podcast of my favorite preacher. I'm going to listen to my three favorite worship songs, and that's going to be my church. That doesn't work either. That doesn't work either. It might be a nice meditation for you. It might be a good, you know, time to spend alone meditating on God, but it's not going to make you a more effective Christian. It's not going to make you a more passionate follower of Christ. It usually actually makes you a less effective Christian. Let me tell you this. Disconnecting yourself from community is actually more harmful than connecting yourself to a flawed community. Let me say that again. Disconnecting yourself from, uh, from community is actually more harmful than connecting yourself to a flawed community. Family is messy and imperfect. Right? Family is messy. Family is imperfect. And you know what? Guess what? So are you and so am I. We're, we're all messy people here. We're all flawed. <laughs> we're all flawed. You know, I've also heard a number of times people say that the church is not what it used to be back in the biblical times. It's not, it's not, you know, we've gone astray so far. We're not like it was in biblical times. I know that's true. If you want to be a more authentic church, you know, i got a great idea. Let's do this. Let's not meet on Sunday mornings for an hour and a half. Let's meet every day before dawn, before the sun comes up. Let's pray before we go to work. And even better than that, let's do this. Let's sell all our possessions. Let's pull all our wealth together, Okay. And, uh, you know, we will own nothing. We, we're not going to claim anything as our own. You know, and we should all, by the way, we should also be willing to lose our jobs, be willing to lose uh, the respect that people have for us, and maybe even lose your life. How does that sound? Right? That doesn't sound, that, if you want to be authentic, that's the, that's the way the New Testament church was working. You know, we, we, they saw, the, like it or not, but they, they saw value in gathering together. They saw value in gathering together. Amen? Actually, if you want to see something interesting, go on YouTube and look up a video called Sheep Among Wolves. It's a, it's a documentary that they've just produced. It's out there on YouTube free to watch. It's about the church in Iran and how, you, you like, I, saw, I was just shocked at the people that are risking their lives. They get up in the mornings, their husband and wives, they say to each other, you know, if I don't see you today, you know, if that's okay. You know, we, we're living for Christ. And uh, because of that, you know, if we don't see each other, if we're taken away, if we're killed, so be it. We're, we, we are living for Christ. And they're risking their lives to just meet together. And they're meeting together in secret. They're meeting together two by two, walking down the road to have church. It's incredible. Go, go look at that. It'll actually really change your perspective on how we value the church here in North America. Amen. Amen. So it's, the church is imperfect, but you know, the truth is that the kingdom is made of people for the benefit of both the kingdom and also the people that are in it. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to try and rush through this a little bit quickly here at the end. I'm going to skip my last. That's what Proverbs 27:17 tells us. Meeting regularly with other believers is a source of encouragement and strength. You know what's really cool when iron rubs iron? It actually makes the, the, the iron sharper. It actually makes it useful as well, too, when iron sharpens iron. It actually becomes more useful. You can actually cut with it when it's sharpened. It also causes sparks. Another thing on top of it, which is pretty neat, too, right? Church was never meant to be easy. It was never meant to keep you dull. Always remember that. It was never meant to keep you dull. Even though you might get hurt or you might have some interactions with other people that require extra grace, 
You'll see that. It'll happen. God can always use the good and bad interactions to show us the areas actually that we need to shore up as well too. He'll always use everything to actually make us grow. Amen? Amen. I'm just trying to skip through here. I know we're running short on time. And not only is the church a wonderful place, you know, where you can go and actually get mentorship from other people as well too. What I love about being in church too is that there's people that have gone the journey ahead of you as well. That there are people that have gone further, that have more mature, that have been Christians longer than you. And you can go to them for, for mentoring. You can go to them to tell them so that you can learn from their mistakes. How beautiful is that? And church is not only a wonderful place to find mentors. It's also a place where God wants you to actually mentor somebody else as well. Right? He wants you to serve. Again, it's not just about receiving. It's also about giving out what you've been given as well too. He wants you. Are the, that's because you're the value. We can have one eye looking on others for guidance. And another eye on God who wants you to be a mentor as well, too. So when a church family is healthy, each member knows that they are part of a family, not only to receive, but also to be a blessing. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to leave it at that. Let me just finish with the series and wrap it up by just reaffirming the fact that the power that you have is the power of God in you. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Amen? It's the same power that's in you. Because he has taken up residency, you contain the truth. You contain forgiveness. You contain peace. And when you show up, these demonstrations of power actually become stronger and stronger. The church is your fueling station. Amen? The church is your fueling station. This is where you come to to become empowered. Because, they're, again, there's strength in numbers. We need more church. Do we need to be more mature? Yeah, absolutely. Do we need to be more authentic? Yes, we do. You know, does the church need to change? Yes, without a doubt. The church is always in a state of reformation. It's always in a state of transformation. The church will always be changing because we're always changing. Even though the church, you know, will change over time, you know, the music changes, the look changes, you know, one thing will always be the same. The importance of us gathering together. That is something that will never change, that the importance that we actually come together in physical form, by the way, not just virtually, but we come together one-on-one, face-to-face to share with each other and to work together and to be Christians together. Amen? Amen. We need each other more than ever. And a lot of people say the church is dead. I don't believe that for one second. I actually believe that the church is here right now for a very specific reason. And, you know, though I think we're actually we're being prepared in a time such as this so that we can be the light in the world. And I think that we actually have a very unique opportunity in this time and space right now to show the world, you know, that we as Christians are powerful. Amen? Amen. Well, stand with me. I'm going to pray a prayer over you. I'm just going to close the meeting now. And, you know, I just want you to be powered up and know and be encouraged you know, by the people beside you as well, too. The person beside you is actually here, has actually been ordained by God to be here. So respect the person next to you because they have been called to this assembly just as you have been called to this assembly, just as been you have been called to the city, they have been called to the city. You guys all have a calling in Christ, and you're here, and you're actually working it out right now. Amen? Amen. Lord, I pray that you would capture our commitment to meet with each other and your church, God's people, to praise you, to love others, and to shine brightly the hope of Jesus Christ to a generation who is desperate to believe what we say is, in fact, true. Stir our hearts to see the value and incredible privilege we have to meet together to worship God and to hear the preaching of your word. Build up your church, Lord, not by our own strength, but through your power in us. Lord, help our church body to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling you have given us. Help us in all our interactions with one, each other, with one another and let us talk to each other and, and be humble and gentle, have gentle hearts to each other. Give us the patience for one another, bearing with one another in love. 
Give us insight into the unity that you plan for us, your church. Let us walk humbly with you, but also with the power found in your grace. We declare today that nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing takes precedent over you and your people. You are God above all. And we pray this in your precious name, Lord. Amen. Amen. You have to be in it to win it. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Thank you all for being here.